crumbles as you land on the ground, having collected the ten fruits in a peculiar fashion. Maybe it would have been faster to pry open the wood with your bare hands to just grab the fruits, but does it look as cool? Also, where the hell are you keeping all those fruits anyways? Do you have matter-reducing pockets in those jorts of yours? No matter. You keep walking forward, in the distance, there seems to be all sorts of danger. But you're just going to take it one shooed step at a time. Wait a minute. Who left this box of TNT just lying around in the jungle? How are you going to ignite it? You definitely don't have a lighter in those pockets of yours. And even if you did, how are you going to find it with all those fruits jostling around? Oh, yep, sure. You're going to jump on it. And it's going to magically explode in three seconds. Okay, then. You're running away, and what the fuck is that? A giant meat-eating plant is just popping out of the ground? How the hell are you going to escape? Oh. You're going to spin super fast. And you're going to uproot it and make it go flying away. Okay, may I say wow? And I'll remember to never piss you off. Comrades. Welcome to another exciting and fun episode of Chomping After Dark. We have a silly episode for you today, and it's one that's been years in the making. We're going to be talking about the eighth main installment of the series, Crash Bandicoot 4, It's About Time. This game takes place after Crash Bandicoot Warped, and boy, does it go places. Before we get into all of that, just a couple of quick reminders that if you like this episode, please subscribe to the show on any of the major podcasting platforms so you never miss an episode. Also, if you want to show support and be rewarded for it, head over to patreon.com swordchomp where you can sign up for one of our delicious tiers. And lastly, if you want to check out more content from us, head over to swordchomp.com where you will find a bunch more podcasts a review section, our, mer our merch store with some beautiful threads, and so much more. Let's introduce the crew that will be joining me today. I am joined by a man who once claimed that owning less than four pairs of jorts and not wearing one pair of jorts during raucous lovemaking should be illegal. Mr. Rich Meister. And his name's John Cena! Uh, yeah, that's true with the thing you said about jorts. Uh, can I, I just so. get get this out of the way because it's been bothering me? Yeah. Uh, I think in Crash 4, it's blatantly obvious that those are not jorts. That's true. That's true. Those are clearly athletic this one, it's, it's true. This one, they're not jorts, but I was referencing the other three games. They're yes, definitely jorts. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He's moved on. 
those are some some basketball shorts he's got going on now. That's true. His his uh, twenty twenty fashion is much more focused on modern. Well, well he's like the rest com- of the game. He's about comfort now. Yeah, yeah. I'm proud of him. He upgraded his wardrobe. And uh, thank you for being here, Rich. And I will be your host for this episode, Mister Shay Layton. And I have to tell you, dude, that I'm absolutely excited for this episode. As I told you before we started recording, as you know, I'm a massive fan of the original three and CTR, of course. What are, what were your experiences with the games growing up? Um, I think you and I have about the same experience. I really love the original three. I really love CTR. And after that, Crash kind of disappeared from my radar. Um, like everything that really was what they did with that franchise in a post-Naughty Dog world. I, I think I dabbled a little bit in Crash Twin Sanity at one point, but I was never pursuing Crash games after that. Yeah. Yeah, I think I was yeah, pretty much in the same boat. I had briefly tried Crash Bra- Crash Bash, wasn't impressed. Um, I tried uh, Crash of the Titans. I had rented it, played it for a few hours, and I was like, it just, it's not the same. And uh, Not doing it. Nope, didn't do it for me, but... I'm glad that we get to talk about this game because obviously uh, I loved it so much. You enjoyed it, and it's going to be a fun discussion. So just a reminder to you, the fans, that there will be spoilers from this point forward. Even though it is a pretty silly story and some people may find this warning a little bit ridiculous, I just want to make sure that you're aware that from this point on, you will hear the story in its entirety. If you do not want that to happen slide jump your way out of here and come back when you finish the game okay so with that in mind let's get into it the game takes place after crash has dealt yet another humiliating defeat to doctors neocortex and nefarious tropy who i will refer to from now on as entropy from here on out uka uka the evil mask attempts to free the doctors and itself from the prison of the past, and in doing so, opens a hole in space and time. The mask passes out, and the two doctors abandon it. How rude. As they enter the rift opened by Uka Uka, they discover that they now have access to the rest of the multiverse. They reason that instead of taking over one dimension, They will control all of the dimensions. With their combined brilliance, they create a machine that allows them to open other rifts. They recruit Doctors Enjin, the doctor with a rocket in his head, and Enbrio, the bald mad doctor from the first game, to prepare themselves for the inevitable war against Crash and Coco. So I'm going to start off with a softball question to sort of ease us into this conversation a little bit. How cool was it to see Embryo make his return with all of those other characters? I think it was, uh, (laughs) it was smart all around just to kind of bring back those characters you would remember the most, obviously. Uh, like Engine had a big role in Crash 2, um... More so like bringing back Cortex's sort of more bumbling assistance um, and, and give us a nice, like, 
again, th- this is a game that's going to be about a lot of fan service and a lot of nostalgia. So it's cool to see them sort of plucking different things from the timeline um, and different checking in on all these characters. Yeah, I really like that they brought um, Embryo back because he was a boss in the first game. And then he, he you never really see him again. Like even in CTR. Yeah, he disappeared. Yeah, they, they brought Engine back in CTR. And he's a playable character, but Embryo just largely, yeah, fell off the face of the earth. So it was really cool that they brought him back along with some other characters as well, um, which we will be talking about here shortly. But yeah, I I, I was really happy to see that, like, from the get-go, it, you knew the game was going to be fan service for um, for a lot of the fans of the older trilogy. For sure. And anyone who actually played the uh, Insane Trilogy would be able to recognize some of the characters that they brought back as well. So there's something in there for old players and new players, which is kind of cool. But um, cool. Let's get back to the story. Very easy question. Lead us into it. Aku Aku, Uka Uka's twin brother, and and he is also the goodly mask, feels a disturbance with space and time. He rushes Crash to the peak of Insanity Island. Once they reach the top, they meet Lonnie Loli, one of the four quantum masks that have power and control over space and time. Lonnie sees one of the rifts in space-time and realizes that something bad is happening. Crash and Coco agree to accompany the masks to the multiverse to find the other quantum masks and discover the source of the problem. So I really like the introduction of the quantum masks because as I got a little older, I started to wonder where Aku Aku and Uka Uka came from. Were they made and imbued with magic? Were they part of an ancient race? Did they come from somewhere else? I like that they have some semblance of a backstory here and they hint at their origins ever so slightly. Being a fan of the series was learning about more more uh sorry was learning more about the masks interesting for you or was it just all in silly fun uh i think to a degree it's all in good fun but it it's interesting in the sense of like it's never something they've addressed before and never something i've really put a lot of thought into um but i I guess at this point they're some basically godlike beings yeah yeah exactly like it's it's one of those things that's always kind of like a passing thought if you ever really think about it. It's not like you finish a Crash Bandicoot game and you're like, where the hell did that mask come from? Are we ever going to get answers to these questions that we have? It's never like that, but it's always kind of like something that just uh, wiggles at the back of your mind. Maybe someday you'll get an answer. It's not a big deal, but it was really cool that they kind of explored that because... It was something that they'd never really toyed around with before, and it ended up being really beneficial for both the story and um, the mechanics. Yeah, totally. Okay. So while Crash, Coco, and the Masks are moving throughout space and time to find the other quantum masks, they meet Tana from another timeline. And just as an aside for the fans before I continue, if you do not remember or know Tana, she was Crash's girlfriend from the first game the very busty bandicoot if you do not remember but back to the story she offers to help them solve the problem and stop the doctors 
Simultaneously, while this is happening, Dingo Dial, who no longer was into villainy and committed his life to his new Cajun-Australian hybrid cuisine restaurant, has his restaurant burned down by a rival. As he goes to investigate, he is sucked into a space-time rift, finding himself thrown into the conflict. At first, as he tries to make his way home, he inadvertently helps Crash and Coco throughout the levels, allowing them to overcome certain obstacles. While the execution of some of the side characters wasn't quite balanced, I really like how they use the whole multiverse concept to not only bring back certain characters from previous games, but influence the gameplay in multiple ways. How did you like that incorporation into the game, both in terms of story and mechanics, Rich? Uh, I mechanically, I feel like it was messy in places. Um, I especially we've talked at length about how I did not like Tana's jumps. Uh, as far as the story goes, I think they were doing interesting stuff with it, it much like with Embryo, just finding unique ways to bring back characters that were sort of forgotten. And um, I really like this take on Dingo Dial as well. I, I always like the idea of bringing in Cortex's weird experiments. Like, the idea of him making a bandicoot intelligent was stupid enough on its face. But at one point, the man combined a dingo and a crocodile. And, yeah. and I just... Uh, dingo Dial, actually, we talked about this on the other podcast. Well, I loved how he worked mechanically. He felt so distinct. And uh, I just really enjoyed those levels. I really enjoy his character. Yeah, I I liked I liked it from a mechanic standpoint. Obviously, we talked about it on length on the Chomp Cast about how um, the four masks open up so much platforming options and uh, sequencing options, which ends up being really enjoyable. But from a story standpoint, what I liked about this them opening it up to the quote unquote multiverse is it actually feels like it gives Crash Bandicoot some lore and some world building, which is something that none of us really knew that we wanted or needed necessarily from a crash bandicoot game, but it feels like, you know, I I've known these characters for a while now, and it's kind of cool to see an updated story in 2020 about what's been going on with them. Like dingo dial was an enemy from a previous game, but then suddenly he's kind of like this neutral character who ends up becoming this good character and you actually care about him. And it's like, why do I care about this fucking character right now? And it was, it was kind of cool, you know, like on, on its face, it was kind of cool to see that happen. And it really opens the Crash Bandicoot world up for more of this kind of stuff because there are other characters missing, like uh, Tiger. Ripperoo. Ripperoo, another one that's missing. Yeah, there are some characters, um, Papu Papu from the very first game. There are some of these bosses uh, that are just missing that could be brought back into the fold, whether it's through DLC or a subsequent game. But um, I really, I really like the fact that they did that. I know um, some people are not big fans of the multiverse thing, and obviously, it's kind of been one of those things that's been real, one of those tropes that's been really used lately and explored. But it just opens up some fun options, as we're going to talk about here shortly. That happened later in this game, but I really... It, it was fun. It was fun. I'm glad they did that. Totally. Crash and Coco find two more of the Quantum Masks. 
Akano, a gruff man mask that allows him to spin much further and more and allows him to attack certain crates. And Kapunawa, a wise Cajun lady mask who allows Crash to slow down time for a brief few seconds. She's got like that French Creole vibe she does. going. I she think. does. Yeah, that's that's what I was looking for, like that Creole yeah. vibe. With their help, the crew defeat Engine and Embryo. They make their way to Neocortex and defeat him. Entropy betrays Cortex, opting to work with his new partner, a female version of Entropy from Tana's universe. Their plan is to remake the multiverse in order to erase Cortex, Crash, Coco, and all masks from existence. I like how in typical Crash fashion, the story just goes balls to the walls with creating this weird love story for Entropy while giving him the reins... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Giving him the reins as the main villain. I absolutely loved this choice and it kept me engaged did you enjoy the main villain swap by chance yeah i think it's kind of played out early on that you kind of see it coming because even to a degree like that's sort of touted back and warped of like entropy clearly thinks he's better than cortex um so it's easy to see cortex as like being the pawn there um yeah and, it, you know, just kind of culminating in, okay, it's clear they're going to keep this going, and we're going to have to have some sort of uneasy alliance with Cortex. For sure. I Like, I remember from the previous games, it always felt like Cortex was in charge. But this one, it, ve it very much, from the beginning, makes it feel like they're in a partnership. So you feel like at any given point in time, one of them could flip and betray the other. And, of course, they did that. And I actually really enjoyed that because... Like I said, in the other games, you, you're pretty much fighting Cortex all the way through. Yeah. And, and yeah, exactly. And this one, it's like, okay, I'm fighting Cortex. Oh, now I'm actually fighting Entropy. And uh, also that leads into one of my favorite scenes there is that sort of uneasy alliance. Um, because I think Cortex makes a remark about like, you know, a begrudging alliance and Crash just immediately hugs him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's... There's a lot of, like, hints at what's to come, and it's all in good fun, so you're never, like, super hardcore analyzing it, but it's fun to yeah. see how the absurdity of where you know it's going to go, and how they, totally. the journey they take to get there is always super fun. Maybe. I think so. Partially. I think it was fun as well. Good. Cortex deceived and furious reluctantly teams up with Crash, Coco, and the Masks to rescue the last Quantum Mask and stop the Entropies together, both of them. After meeting back up with Tana and Dingo Dial, they rescue Ika Ika, the two-faced mask that can turn space upside down. The naming systems, my god. The team... It's a lot. It is. The team of the Bandicoots, the Masks, Cortex, and the two helpers track down the Entropies. After an epic space-time continuum battle, the Masks destroy the Rift Generator, which seals all of the Rifts. Hooray! After the team celebrates in a futuristic city, Cortex betrays them, 
that motherfucker, and steals Kapunawa and uses her time-traveling ability to go back into the past to before the events of the first game. He goes back to when he was first preparing for world domination. In an attempt to prevent Crash Bandicoot, his arch-nemesis from ever being created. While it was completely unnecessary, I love how the developers and story writers showed the origins of Crash Bandicoot, which turned out to be Cortex being the one who created him. It plays on a familiar trope. That which you create has the power to destroy you. I'm going to take this question in a very left field place. So Rich, you're going to have to prepare yourself. Is this a trope that was humorously exploited in this game? Do you think? What do you mean? Do you feel like it was funny in the way that it all unfolds? Oh yeah, I think it's handled well. And I mean, Cortex being the creator of Crash was lightly established in the series already. But I, I do like the nature of Cortex's betrayal. And he even literally has a line like curse my subtle yet ne- my my sudden yet inevitable betrayal. Uh and You're right, like, yeah. Leading it all back to going back to before Crash is even made. Um Oh, I did also want to note in the space level, this is just a good note. I don't know if you noticed this. The return of one nitrous oxide in yes. that space level. Yes, the villain from uh, Crash Team Racing. But yeah, bringing you back full circle to Cortex Castle, um, having two Cortexes play off each other, and just making jokes about how he's so stubborn he won't even listen to himself. Yes, yes, I love that. I love that banter. Like, how obstinate cortex is in his desire and then he's faced with himself and he can't handle his own obstination essentially he's yeah. like i can't handle me essentially. it's just too much yeah and he, too- he's like was i always this stubborn um and one of my favorite uh little bits of throwaway dialogue in that cortex castle level when you're running is we mentioned this um on the Chopcast actually that in early designs, Crash Bandicoot was originally supposed to be a wombat. Uh, and Cortex has like a throwaway line where he's like, I knew I should have gone with the wombat. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I love that. I love there's just so much fan service in this game. Of course, we're going to talk about it a little bit later. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I, this game, yeah, it it does such a good job of knowing its target audience and who it is appealing to, for sure. Totally. But the follow-up to that question is, is there a time in your life, Rich, where something you have created has almost destroyed you? Oh, wow. That's... I told you it was going to be a question really <laughs> out of left field. I don't, I don't know, man. Um, wow. Uh, I guess, uh, you know, Morgan in a lot of ways. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know you, you tell a man uh that he's got good taste in games enough and it just really comes back to bite you in the ass i, yeah. I don't have a good answer to that question i can't think of a, a, a situation where that applies to my life do you have something you know as i was writing that i was like do i have an answer for my own question and i actually thought about it and it's not specifically this podcast but sword chomp in general um because there have been 
<laughs> like there have been so many times where I've gotten into arguments with Morgan and I'm like, I don't know how much more my mental health can take this or um, like, I don't know how many more video games I can play kind of thing at various points in my life or like I've, I've definitely had some relationships, uh, both romantic and friendships suffer uh, for, from doing this. And it's not a bad thing. Like I, I enjoy what I do. But uh, all humor aside, but yeah, like there have been moments where in all seriousness, I'm like, man, what, what we do like with like, it's a labor of love at the end of the day. Cause obviously we don't make a living off of it, um, at this current point in time, but it's like, I, we put so many hours and so much time and dedication into it. It's like, at the end of the day, am I seeing this ultimate fulfillment that I want out of it. And there have been times where the answer to that question, honestly has been, no, I haven't seen the fulfillment out of that. And I've just been yelling at Morgan. Yeah. Just fucking sitting there yelling at him. Death stranding is not objectively a good game, but yeah. And all in all seriousness, I would like jokes aside, that would probably be one of the answers I could come up with that question in a serious note. But, um, yeah, does that help you out? Does that give you one, or do you not have one? I don't know. Um, I don't think I have one more specifically. Like, I guess. What about I, your I drinking wanna... habit? No, I didn't. That's not my fault. That's society. <laughs> um, that's society. In my you didn't father. create that. Society um, created that. Yeah, like society's the one that has the problem. I I don't want to name people's names. You ever have one of those situations where like you've introduced two people, and then like down the line years later, like. They just say something, and you're like, I don't like you two as friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. For sure. Yeah, and like, or similarly, if you've, I don't know if you've ever done this, like, matchmaking, where, um... I have. I. Yeah, I, I meant, like, when I first, very first started going to college in 2008, um, I was going for web design, actually, funnily enough, and I, I did one semester of it, and I was like... God no. Like this is not for me. But I uh I met two very good friends there that I'm still very good friends with to this day. And um I remember I kinda had this this moment where I kinda had a thing for this girl, but she had a thing for our friend, and I was like, Okay, I'll hook them up instead. Like instead of trying to fight the uphill battle, I'll hook them up and I totally did the whole matchmaking thing. And they did makes you feel worse. It did like it, it. It was sad for a few days, and then I got over it. But because I saw how good they worked together, and they dated for a really long time, but they were also objectively not good for each other because they like they were polar opposites in so many ways that I didn't realize at first. And they just had they like they had a beautiful relationship, but it was also very tumultuous and very stressful at times. And they eventually ended up ending. But I remember at like various points in the relationship, they would both like come to me for advice and stuff. And, um, it was really, really funny to see how that play played out at the end, because like, I'd be like driving and my buddy's like, Hey, uh, uh, I need to talk to you about my girlfriend. I'd be like, okay. Yeah. And then like an hour later, I'd get a call from her and she'd be like, Hey, can you meet me somewhere? <laughs> I need to talk about him. And I was okay. And it's like, you're trying to like help them out and stuff like that. And, um, I I've don't had think... those balancing act situations, like where I've literally had somebody on the speak like speakerphone, and I'm like, "Hey, man, if you got a minute, I just 
I need to talk to you about some shit with my girlfriend. I'd be like, well, that's going to be really weird because she's in the car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just like, it's those moments. It's those funny moments in life where like it was, it was a funny topic aside, but like, I think it also applies to real life. You know, sometimes there are things that you create that end up destroying you. Figure it reminds me of this time. I increased the intelligence of a bandicoot. <laughs> oh man. You too. Yeah, it actually didn't work how I planned, um, and uh, okay. he's he's been a thorn in my side ever since. Now I I just he's been I he's been say, a jort on your hips game, ever since. A jort on my hips. I I just beat the game last night. Now, am I thinking too much into this, or is there an implication at the end here that Crash breaks the machine and is responsible for the reason he is an idiot? Well, you know what? Now that you mentioned that, let's just get into the end section because I think we've answered the question. The question you're asking is actually going to be answered in about 20 seconds. So, okay, because, yeah, no, I thought we were already there. That's my bad. You're No, you're good. You're good. You're, but you're let's absolutely keep going, right. Then. Present-day neocortex is unsuccessful in convincing his past self to both abandon his experiment or help himself destroy the team of Crash, Coco, and the Masks who followed him from the future. The Quantum Masks amass their power and banish Cortex to the end of the universe, allowing the past Cortex to proceed with his experiment. Past Cortex prepares to brainwash past Crash with the Cortex Vortex, but present-day Crash accidentally destroys the Vortex's power source, causing it to malfunction which ensures his own creation as he is in current day. So, yes, Rich. Yeah. And he, and we have a brief Coco, like, just watching the machine break and being like, yeah, that makes sense. Yep, exactly, which I absolutely love that. Dingo Dial returns to his time and reopens his diner and actually franchises his diner. I love the bits, uh... With, like, the commercial for his restaurant, he's like, it's a D writing from the health board. The D stands for delicious. And then in the background, it's like, the D does not stand for delicious. D is failing <laughs> from the health board. Like, I loved that. It's so corny, yet I fucking, I yeah, absolutely it's, love it's it. Yeah, it's like a good joke. It's such a simple but good joke. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Tried and true joke. Um, Cortex relaxes on a beach, finally feeling at peace being in a place free of the bandicoots and any masks. Crash, Coco, Tana, Aku Aku, and the Quantum Masks play some pretty familiar video games at their home on Insanity Island. The epilogue shows Cortex continuing to relax on the beach when suddenly Uka Uka appears. And that's the game right there. What were mm-hmm. your overall impressions with the story in the game? Uh, I was never clamoring to crash for it. It's a marveling storytelling. I think this is a little uh, more detailed than they have been in the past, and it is full of like fun in-jokes for people familiar with the original franchise. And it, it's light. It was fun, and I really do hope we get to see what Uka Uka has for Cortex. I'm in for Crash 5. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm in the same boat. Um, I really loved how it didn't take itself seriously, but it wasn't so corny that it was like 
legitimately trying to cater to strictly children. Like you think a Sonic and then when they made the Sonic TV show and it's like, okay, clearly they're gearing this towards children. Um, yeah. They could have they could have taken that approach with this game, but they chose not to do that. Granted, it's still corny, but it's fun corny. It's not like, like, yeah. And, and you and I talked about like the subtleties and like like the whole like oh wow we've taken forever to make this game. Like the first time you're like fighting Cortex, I think you and I talked about this how he, like his throwaway lines are like he's like oh how I've missed this. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like they know their audience and that that was the most important thing when they made this story is they realized that they may end up getting new players and children like Morgan had talked about on the Chompcast with his daughter. But they also realized that there are people in their late 20s, early 30s who grew up with these games and hearing that a new game was releasing was like, hell yeah, I want to play this game. And um, the story, yeah, the story just never takes itself too seriously is starting to world build within uh, this old mascot who had seemed to be forgotten about from the PS1 era. It, there's a lot here, and it's a lot of fun. Um, obviously, we're breezing over a lot of the dialogue, and I think that's like that is intentional because I want you as the viewer to still get a few surprises in there. Um, but yeah, we, we went through the story. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like the the major stuff we we touched on, uh, the a lot of the humor comes in the dialogue, and we want you to experience that firsthand. Uh, I have two quick questions for you before we roll out. This is a pretty short episode. Obviously, we're not going to sit here and <laughs> overly evaluate this thing. But uh, one of the questions I had is obviously this game is so great about including Easter eggs and uh catering to its audience what was one of your favorite um whether it's easter eggs or um just fan service moments in this game i uh i really like the the spyro and like skylanders balloons in that sort of uh like new orleans like parade sort of level like that like mardi gras kind of themed level i just really like that level overall like, I think that's one of the best levels in the game. Um, yeah, and it's fun it to is. see, like, those little Easter eggs in the background. But And uh, as far as, like, I guess other, other Easter eggy stuff or fan service stuff, I really like the subtle and barely addressed presence of Nitrous Oxide, the villain from Crash Team Racing when you're in space. Yeah, yeah, that, that was freaking hilarious. It's just like, oh, yeah, there's that guy, whatever. And then just keeps going, yeah. <laughs> remember because, him? Yeah. Yeah, you remember him? Maybe he'll be in Crash 5. But yeah, I I agree with you on the city level. I'm glad that you ended up having that same opinion. Um, I really like that Easter egg. I mentioned a lot on the on the Chomp Cast. One more that I will mention here that I really like is uh, Dingo Dial, just as a character in general. Um, he's more fan service than anything. I just loved his whole story arc. I loved how he played as a character. I loved what what he added to the team when they were all together. He was a really fun character and I'm really glad that they totally. brought him back in. They turned him in from a villain to a neutral character to a good guy of sorts. And I, yeah, they just handled what his I think character about what very fans well. would have wanted. So I bet you at one point they were trying to decide whether Dingo dial or tiny tiger would be playable. Yeah, and I I hope that Tiny Tiger and Ripper Roo and some of the older bosses kind of make their way back 
into the series if they choo- choose to either do DLC or Crash 5. Um, I haven't heard anything about DLC. I don't think that there needs to be DLC. I think if they just made a Crash I, 5, that'd be cool. Yeah, I think they, what they should do is focus on a, a new game for next gen. I would definitely be in for a, a Crash 5 after this. Yeah, yeah, especially, exactly. Especially on the eve of the new consoles. I think that makes a lot of sense that they would push for a Crash 5 and maybe we'll see it like 2022-2023 that would be dope I'd love that my last question for you you know the question it's the one I ask at the end of every single one of these podcasts would you recommend this game and if you have any final thoughts on the game speak now uh, yeah I definitely recommend it whether you are a, a existing fan of the franchise or coming to it for the first time I think it's a really solid, challenging platformer. Um, at a $40 price tag, is it 40 or is it 60 I don't know what I spend on it's games. It's 60 Why did I think it was 40 I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't I'm know. I'm so tired. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. Okay, still at a, at a, like at a $40 price tag, I was going to say there's no excuse. But even at a 60 there's a lot of game here. There's an insane amount of replayability. If you want to go for all of the gems and everything, it's a very challenging game. If you want all that stuff, I know I will never get it, but I really appreciate again in the fan servicey stuff. I really want that wombat skin <laughs> from the last level because I think that's great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I th- like Rich said, um, I'm in the same boat. Obviously, I'm such a huge fan of the series. If I'm to be as objective as possible, um, it is the longest Crash Bandicoot between the f- original three and this one. I, I don't know about Crash of the Titans or Twin Sanity. I'm led I'm led to believe that it is the longest one. Um just from beginning to end without doing all the extra stuff. And then you get extra stuff like unlocking skins, like Rich said, you do time challenges that um there's a lot of content there. One thing is if you obviously we are still in the midst of a pandemic, um right now, and if you're looking for fun things to do with your family or your significant other um it does have couch co-op availability and it's really fun so uh from a narrative standpoint yeah i still recommend this game it's it's a fun saturday cartoon and in video game form and it has solid to great uh gameplay to boot um i definitely think it's the strongest in terms of gameplay out of any of the crash bandicoots to date there's so many things that it does um the fact that they added a ridiculously fun ridiculous and fun i should say um story to boot just makes it that much better i think it's worth 60 dollars um i i know obviously money's tight right now with uh, the way things are in the world and uh other games coming out new consoles coming out uh if that's if that's a deterrent wait to see if it's on sale on black friday definitely pick it up if it is because it's a fantastic game um it is worth buying even if it's not going to be on the new consoles it's an absolutely fun game i think it's one of the uh top three best games no, i'm just kidding <laughs> i was gonna make a morgan claim there it's one of the best three go. games of this generation stop using hyperbole <laughs> uh, i definitely think it's one of the strongest games of this year for me in terms of just gameplay um very very solid game so anyways that's gonna about do it for this episode um don't want to drag this out any longer than it needs to be it's a very fun game play it you'll enjoy it 
Uh, I want to thank Rich. Thank you for being here, having some fun with me on this chat. Um, of course. Yeah. And we'll be back for uh, Cats 2, the sequel. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we haven't decided Cats what the Cats 2, next... the reckoning. The, 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 the buttholing. Uh, we haven't decided what the next Chomping After Dark is going to be. That's right. We're doing all the Lord of the Rings movies. I would love to do that, to be honest with I'd you. do that with you. Okay. Well, that, might be, that may or may not be the next one, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, we want to thank you guys one, for listening. But I still think we should do it. Okay. I'm keen with that. Whether it's the next one or 10 from now, it's going to happen. But, yeah, thank you to you, the listeners, for uh, checking out this episode. And uh, if you like this episode, definitely go listen to some of the other episodes. Some are silly like this one, and some are much more serious and contentious as we have the full crew here as we argue certain aspects of certain games but at any rate thank you and take care